all the time. All right, now we got to work on that a little bit. When we get to the worship time, we're going to say that with great vim and vigor. I say God is good, and y'all say all the time, then we reverse it. You ready? God is good. There you go. All the time? All right. Now, we will talk some more about that, and you will be ready for it. Hey, good morning. I do bring you greetings this morning from the Baptist State Convention, and I'll say more about that later, but I want to jump into Sunday school. But let me kind of tell you where we're going with today. First of all, I've got some new heroes. They're all up in the balcony for the most part, uh, plus Doug and all the technical team. So uh, they've made this possible that you can see what I'm talking about. And uh, Todd's right. As I, the, the more I talk, the faster I'll talk. But I want to give you a, a little help here. Everything that you see on the screen is actually on a table out in the, in the lobby, along with a lot of other free materials, tracks and prayer guides and things that you can pick up and take with you. Thank you for your giving through the cooperative program that makes that possible. But also there's a handout uh, that has the PowerPoint sales on it. So if you're trying to write down something on the screen, uh, I may go too fast for you to write that down. So don't panic. It's, it's on, on the table so you can pick that up. And we'll make sure you have it if you want it. But anyway, it's an honor to be here. Uh, Some of you all may remember me. Some of you may not. I've been here several times, but it's been a while. Uh, I preached here about 12 years ago a couple of times uh, before Pat Kilby came. And then when Pat Kilby was here, we hosted the Evangelism Conference here one time. And I think I've been here for an association meeting as well. So uh, anyway, it's an honor to be here. It's a great church and a great location. Uh, Just to connect with you a little bit, I'll show you a picture of my family here in just a minute. But... um, my, my father grew up in Johnston County. My mother grew up in Harnett County, so not too far away. I was born in Raleigh uh, and lived in the Garner area until I was about three. And then my dad got transferred to the western part of the state. So I grew up in Waynesville, about 30 miles west of Asheville, where Pat Kilby's from, from the same area. And so uh, I've been back. I've been with the convention for about 13 years. So it is an honor and a privilege to be here today. And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And this is kind of the outline of the day. Uh, this, this Sunday school time is going to be a teaching time, just some real practical ways to engage people, to share your faith, to talk with folks. Uh, I'm going to preach and talk about lostness in the worship time. And then when we come back tonight for the evening session, uh, at least half of that time, and maybe all that time, uh, will be interactive and discussion-oriented, so you can talk and ask questions and give ideas, and I will teach and talk and uh, interact with you uh, based on what you want to talk about. And then uh, we may go on to another session and have some more information. But uh, for the most part, uh, we'll continue to unpack uh, this whole idea of how do you share your faith and how do you connect with people. So it is an honor to be here today. And uh, my theme is life is a mission trip. Say that out loud with me. Life is a mission trip. Now, the thing about that is a lot of times when we think about missions, we think we've got to go overseas or we've got to go somewhere. We've got to go to Vermont or Alaska or go somewhere out of state to be on a mission trip. And I encourage you to do that. Keep doing that. But the concept I want you to have today, that going to the grocery store, going to the hairdresser or get your hair cut or going to the bank or going to wherever you're going, to work or school, that God has called us as Christians to be on mission with him and for him. Amen? And it's really a lot of fun and it's exciting, and we'll talk about that. Um, Out there is a brochure called Evangelism Crash Course, which has got some basic, simple tools and ways that you can share your faith. Uh, On this website, Find It Here NC, there's also um, uh, about a 45-minute or 38-minute video clip of me training some young people. This is a picture of my family. Uh, I have five children. Um, As you can tell, my oldest son uh, is a lot bigger than I am. Uh, He's at NC State on an Army ROTC scholarship. Uh, His name's Wheeler, my daughter in the the middle uh, graduated from high school last summer, and uh, she's a freshman at East Carolina. And then her name's Courtney, and then Darcy is on the left, and she is 17. She's a junior in high school. And Dawson in the bow tie is uh, 11, and uh, Harper Ruth is 7. And my wife, Angela, and I, we've been married for almost 25 years. And so um, if you're here and you're a young person, I'll tell you a fun story about that. I met my wife at uh, an event called KC83. It's much like what Passion is now. Passion had like 45,000 students. I met her in Kansas City. There's 22,000 students. It was sponsored by Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, we met each other in Kansas City, Missouri, and found out that we were neighbors in Chapel Hill. We lived on the same street, five houses from each other. So uh, if you seek after God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you have that divine intersection with the right person at the right time and the right place. And so we've been involved in missions pretty much ever since. It was a great commission conference. Um, so, anyway, just want to kind of introduce them, and I'll tell some stories about them. Now, let me tell you kind of a fun story as we begin to jump in. I live in a neighborhood about eight miles south of Raleigh. When we moved to our neighborhood 13 years ago, 
Uh, my oldest son did an RA survey for his mission project, gave out the Jesus video, and found out that there was only nine families out of 34 that go to church on a regular basis. So we realized right away that our own neighborhood was a mission field. So we began to pray for our neighbors, get to know them, and 10 years later, my younger son resurveys the neighborhood and gave out a, a DVD of one of retired uh, military guys' uh, testimony that North American Mission Board did on, on our neighborhood and on uh, his story. And um, found out that 17 families go to church on a regular basis. So we've still got a long way to go, but we've seen God do some things in our neighborhood over the course of the time. And most of that has been an answer to prayer. So I'm going to talk about prayer as much as I'm going to talk about anything today because the power of sharing the gospel really comes through praying and preparing people's hearts. But um, as, as I told you about my neighborhood, I jog, um, and I, I would call it jogging. It's really not running. I'm jogging <laughs> very slowly. But I do that about four or five days a week, and that's when I pray for my neighbors. Now, you've heard of people committing drive-by slayings. I want to encourage you all to commit drive-by prayings. Amen? So as you, pray, as you drive by a school or as you drive by, you know, a high school or elementary school, pray for the teachers. Pray for those that are Christians. They'd be bold and winsome and sharing their faith. Pray for those that don't know the Lord. They'd come to know the Lord. And when you see an American flag, uh, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our military. And this, this is a community that does that because you are the home of the Air Force. And uh, my dad served in the Air Force. He was in Korea, and uh, he was stationed in Japan from 1951 to 53. Uh, during that time, and I've already met Mr. Price, who was in during that time as well. So I appreciate you all serving, by the way. My oldest son is at NC State on an Army ROTC scholarship, so he's planning to serve in the Army. So I have a great appreciation for uh, people who serve. But anyway, as I, as I was jogging uh, one Tuesday morning, I came across my garbage man, and I'm going to tell you that story in a minute, uh, but I want to set that up with a funny story. There's this little girl, and she's with her grandmother, and her grandmother's taught her the Lord's Prayer. And she's got the Lord's Prayer word perfect. I mean, she's got it perfect. So they're on their way to church. Grandma's excited because they're going to line the kids up. And Grandma's driving. And the little girl looks at her grandma and says, Grandma, you know what? You and God have a lot in common. Well, Grandmother began to polish her spiritual halo. And she said, what's that, honey? She said, you're both real old. (laughs) So they get to church and they line the kids up. And the first little boy starts off and he says, Our Father who does art in heaven, Halloween, be his name. And he goes right on like that, and it's real funny. He didn't get it right. Well, the little girl, she's next, and she is word perfect until she gets to the part where she says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Well, that's not what she said, but her theology was good. She said, Forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those that put trash in our baskets. I like that. And then she ended it by saying, Deliver us some email. <laughs> But anyway, taking her theology, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those that put trash in our baskets. I want to give you an idea, and this is a conversational device. Jesus is the greatest garbage man of all time. Amen? He's also the greatest doctor, lawyer, plumber, coach, teacher. You can take that and turn that into a very good, fun, spiritual conversation. Jesus is the greatest, you fill in the blank. We'll talk about that some uh, this evening. But anyway, I'm jogging one Tuesday morning. I see my garbage man. Now, I've not met this guy before, but he's got his name tag on. It said TC. I said, TC, good morning. He said, good morning. I said, TC, does that stand for terrific Christian? He goes, no, man, no, but it should. I said, well, TC, let me ask you something. You know the greatest garbage man of all time is? And he goes, Wow, that's an interesting question. Never thought about that. Explain that to me. I said, well, TC, think about it. You come each week, and you take away our garbage and our trash, and you remove it, and I don't have to see it or deal with it again, and I I appreciate that. He said, well, you're welcome. I said, but in the same way, Jesus Christ can come into our life and take away the garbage and the trash and the sin, and he can remove it so we don't have to see it or deal with it again. He said, that's good. That's real good. I need to tell other people that. I said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to tell other people that. Amen. All right, well, a couple months later, I'm running again, and, I'm, and we got a new garbage man. Now, y'all have been in this situation before where you have seen somebody, you felt like you ought to invite him to church, you ought to share with him, you ought to tell him you're praying for him, and the right side of your brain or one side of your brain is telling you what you ought to do. The other side of your brain is telling you they're going to think I'm crazy, they're going to not understand, it's not going to make sense, they're going to reject me. Well, I was having that conversation as I was about to approach uh, my new garbage man, and the reason was he looked Hispanic. And I thought, he may not understand what I'm saying, and it may not make any sense to him. Well, anyway, I jog up to him, and I said, good morning. He said, good morning, had an accent. I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Rich. I said, well, Rich, my name's Marty. Nice to meet you. Where are you from? He said, well, originally I'm from Puerto Rico, but I moved here from New York City. And I said, well, that's good. Good to have you. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you know the greatest garbage man of all time is? And he looked at me like, what kind of question is that? And I'm thinking, this is not working. I don't think it's working. And I'm kind of talking to God, talking to him. And I said, it's Jesus Christ. He's the greatest garbage man of all time. And he is just staring at me like, 
what planet did you just get off of? And I'm thinking, Lord, this did not connect with him. And I said, well, I hope that encourages you. Maybe I'll see you again sometime. And he's just got that okay kind of look, like you're one unusual person. So I didn't think that worked at all. So anyway, I'm jogging uh, the next Tuesday. And he drives in the neighborhood. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. He slams on brakes, Todd, jumps out of the truck, jerks his glove off, and stuck his hand out and said, man, I just want to tell you thank you for what you said to me last week. Nobody's ever said anything like that to me before. I was thinking to myself, man, by the look on your face, I know nobody ever said anything to you before. There was no doubt about it. But we struck up kind of a friendship, and his English was very good. And, and so, you know, Christmas came. We talked about Christmas, found out he had a Catholic background. The movie The Passion of the Christ had come out. We talked about that. Then one day he told me his little boy's name was Stephen. And I said, Stephen, that means crowned one. I said, have you ever read about Stephen in the Bible? No, where is it? And I said, it's at the end of Acts chapter 6 going into chapter 7. He's the first Christian martyr. Fast forward, I'm signing up Darcy, who's my middle daughter. This is elementary school. And I'm signing her up for school one day. And I'm looking at this guy, and he's got his head down. But I'm thinking, he looks like my garbage man. And so he raises up, and it's Rich. And I said, Rich, what are you doing here? He said, um, my little boy, Stephen, he's going to start the first grade. What are you doing here? I said, my daughter, Darcy, she goes to school here. And he goes, I clean up pretty good, don't I? He's all dressed up. And I said, yeah, man, you look good. He introduced his wife. I introduced my wife. Got down on one knee and said, you must be Stephen. Stephen's a little fella. His eyes got big, but Stephen didn't know it, but I've been praying for him too. Now, why do I take the time to tell you this story? Here's the reason. You got people in the natural path of your life, whether it's the garbage man or it's the bank teller or it's the gas station person, it's the person at Food Line or Piggly Wiggly or wherever it is you shop. You know these people on a first-name basis. You probably you see them once a week or once a month. You may have known them for years. You may know something about their family or their children's names or whatever. But here's the situation. You have two to three to five-minute conversations with them once a week or once a month, and we talk about the weather, we talk about the ball game last night, or we talk about what's going on in the news. Nothing wrong with those conversations. But I want to encourage you today, and I want to challenge you. Take your daily conversations and turn them into spiritual conversations and talk about Jesus. Amen? Amen. And it's amazing how you can develop those friendships with the most unlikely people, but they're the most natural people because of the people you run into. And uh, Rich and I developed a great little friendship, and I'd see him once a month, and we'd talk for three or four minutes. And uh, one day I saw him at the Baptist State Convention building. He was now working in Cary, and we hugged each other. So, I mean, we had developed a friendship because he was our garbage man for about three years. And so it's amazing how that works out. But, but life is a mission trip. Amen? Say that with me. You ready? Life is a mission trip. Now, I want to continue to talk about that. Um, I'm talking about evangelism. A lot of times when somebody says, we're going to do evangelism, they have this idea that we're going to go out and hit somebody in the head with the Bible. We're going to get them in a headlock and tell them where they're going to go if they don't straighten out. Well, that might all be good, but that's not the way to win friends and influence enemies. Amen? If you take the word evangelism and you break the word down, in Greek it's the word euangelion. Now, you see the word there, it's E-V-A-N-G. The E-V in Greek is E-U, and the word E-U means good. For example, if you go to a funeral and you hear a eulogy about somebody, that's a good word about them. All right, same idea. Right in the middle of the word evangelism is the word angel, which is the message or the messenger. And true evangelism literally means sharing the good news. Take Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Some of y'all remember that story. Uh, the eunuch is bouncing along in his chariot, riding, reading out of Isaiah. And Philip runs up to him. The Spirit of the Lord said, run up to him. And Philip runs up to him. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how could it? unless somebody explains it? And he's reading from Isaiah. And the Bible says, beginning from this scripture in Acts 8.35, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. But what it literally says is he evangelized him with Jesus. And what it most literally means is he good-newsed him with Jesus. And folks, that's what evangelism really is. It's good-newsing people with Jesus. And we've got to recapture that concept of that's what it is. It's not an act of aggression, it's an act of compassion. It's caring about a soul. And you know, and people pick up on that pretty quickly. They pick up on whether you care about them or whether you're preaching to them or you're just talking to them. And I just want to tell you, if you keep it a conversation, you can talk to people about anything you want to in a context of a conversation. Amen? Now, if you're a funny person, you get people laughing and you have a great sense of humor, you can tell people anything you want to while they're laughing. Amen? I call that the Mary Poppins method. You know, the little sugar, the medicine goes down. Amen? But um, just think about it. You keep it a conversation. People are, are reading you, and you might be just talking about whatever, but all of a sudden you start to engage in a spiritual conversation. You've, if you've ever done this, you'll notice what I'm going to tell you. People tend to put the brakes on. They tend to straighten up. They tend to get quiet, and they're kind of waiting to see what you're doing. Are you going to preach to me? Are you going to condemn me? Are you going to make me feel bad? 
Well, folks, we don't really have to preach to them or condemn them. Most people already know they're a sinner, even if they can't word that. They feel that. They know that. But if you just talk to them and keep it a conversation, you can tell them anything you want to. Let me give you an illustration. I coach sports. I played three sports in high school, and I coach basketball, baseball, and football, and I love it. And it's, just, it's my ministry. That's the way I share the gospel. Uh, I coach an Optimus basketball. We had a game yesterday. We pray before the games. And I gave all my kids a John 3.16 card yesterday. And I said, I know everybody knows who Tim T- Tebow is. He's made John 3.16 pretty famous. So I gave everybody a card, and all the kids are into it. So about half of them are probably Christians, and about half of them aren't. So, but um, it's a great way to do ministry. Well, anyway, I was coaching baseball. And I was coaching 13 to 15-year-olds, and it was a Saturday uh, about lunchtime. We were coming off the field, and this homeless guy comes up to my son and I. His name's Michael. He's 19 years old. And he said, hey, man, can you give me some money to get something to drink? Well, you don't give money to homeless people to get something to drink. But I asked him, I said, when's the last time you had something to eat? He said, well, it's been a while. I said, well, we're going to go get some lunch. Would you like to go with us? He said, sure. And my son said, well, let's go to Arby's. And Michael said, Arby's would be good. <laughs> so one of the parents said, should I follow you? And I said, no, I think we'll be all right. So I got him in the car, and I went through the drive through on purpose so I could keep him with me and talk to him. And I began to witness to him, began to talk to him about Jesus. He said, oh, man, I don't believe all that stuff. I said, why not? He said, oh, I heard all that in a homeless shelter. And I said, why don't you believe it? He said, because there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. I said, well, I agree with you. There's a lot of hypocrites in church, but there's also a lot of hypocrites that don't go to church too. Amen? Hypocrites are everywhere. (laughs) Anyway, just a teaching point right there. A lot of times people will say something about the church, and we feel like we need to be defensive or defend it. But the reality is our goal is not to talk to them about the church. Our goal is really to talk to them about Jesus. And you don't have to defend Jesus. Amen? So if there's something you can agree with, even if it's negative... Sometimes that will win you in the conversation because if you start defending something that you both know is true, you lose your credibility in conversation a lot of ways. If you start saying, oh, well, no, not everybody's, you know, blah, blah, blah. You, I just ignored that because that wasn't the point of my conversation. I just went along with them. Yeah, there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. There's a lot of hypocrites everywhere, you know. But then I continued to talk to him, and, and um, he was getting ready to get out of the car, and I said, well, Michael, can I pray for you? And he kind of looked at me funny, and he goes, well, I guess so. So I prayed for him. He gets out of the car, he opens the door, and he just kind of stands there for just a minute. And then he sits down in the car. Then he really lets me talk to him. Well, then when he gets out of the car and we're driving on, my son said to me, Dad, why did he get back in the car? I said, son, I don't know, but I think he figured out we weren't trying to do anything to him. We weren't trying to get anything from him. We weren't judging him. We were just trying to tell him about Jesus. And on top of that, we bought his lunch. And I, I think that paints a scenario of how these conversations go a lot of time. You're just talking about whatever, and then you begin to talk about something spiritual. The breaks go on. But don't let that shock you, and don't let it stop you. Just continue to keep it a conversation. Share your story. Ask them about their story. And we're going to talk a lot about that. But just keep it in mind that true evangelism is an act of compassion, not an act of aggression. It's caring about a soul. Amen? Amen. Now, here's another thing, too. And if we have some more time this afternoon or this evening, we'll unpack this a lot more. But we tend to see people as either scenery or machinery. Scenery being, what do they look like? Are they tall? Are they short? Are they pretty? Do they have blue hair, spiked hair, earrings, or tattoos? We, we tend to lock in on whatever they look like physically. Or we see them as machinery. And that is, what can they do or how good are they? And, uh, and we make some kind of assessment or judgment. And sometimes we don't get beyond the external. But the reality is we've got to see people as a soul with an eternal destiny. And I call that being soul conscious. But let me give you a couple examples of this. In the Bible, y'all remember King David. All right, what was King David before he was king? Shepherd boy, all right? Samuel is going to try to figure out who's going to replace Saul as king. So he asks Jesse, who has a lot of sons, to bring all of his sons in. He marches them in. Nope, he's not the one. Nope, he's not the one. Nope, he's not the one. Don't you have another son? Oh, yeah, we got David. He's the shepherd boy. He's out with the sheep. He said, bring him in. He goes, he's the one. He's God's anointed. And see, the point there is everybody saw David as a shepherd boy, but God saw him as a king. And we got people all around us that we just kind of write them off because we have no idea what's going on in their life or how God might be using them. And we just kind of make some judgment about them because of what they look like or their hair or what they have on. By, by the way, blue hair was popular in church about 25, 30 years ago. Y'all remember that? <laughs> Ladies used to put bluing in their hair, and we called it blue hair. And many of y'all have got what the Bible calls a crown of glory, beautiful white silver hair. It's called a crown of glory. And by the way, gray hair is like my favorite color of hair, so I love it. I just hope I don't turn that color before it turns loose. But uh, anyway, some of us just outgrow it, don't we, Todd? <clears throat> <laughs> an evangelist one time told me he said his hair had already raptured and some, someday he was going to be with it <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, I didn't mean to sidetrack us too much, but it is a lot of fun. But uh, the Bible does say that uh, your hair is a crown of glory. But anyway, um, I want to tell you an illustration about, about this concept of being soul conscious. We never know the influence that we're going to have in somebody's life. We really don't know as we're sharing the gospel with them, we're talking to them about Jesus. We may never actually see the results of that. But let me tell you a really profound story that, we'll, that you will identify with. Uh, back in the early 1900s, there was a great evangelist named Mordecai Ham. And he was preaching in Charlotte area in North Carolina, uh, doing an outdoor, like a tent revival. And after it was over, one of his friends asked him, how did it go? He said, well, it didn't go real good tonight. He said, we just had one teenage boy saved, 17-year-old boy. Well, it turns out that one teenage boy, and you know this, was Billy Graham. But his assessment was, it didn't go that well, just one person was saved. But the person that was reached was Billy Graham. And folks, you never know. Uh, who you're talking to or how significant that one conversation you have where you share the gospel with somebody, how you may influence their life, and they may touch the world. And so just keep that in mind and be soul conscious. And don't see people as scenery, what do they look like, or machinery, what can they do, but see them as a soul with the eternal destiny. And how do we apply that? Well, you have to change the question. When you see somebody, the question isn't what do they look like or what can they do. The question is this, what is the condition of their heart, and do they know Jesus as their Savior? What is the condition of their heart? And do they know Jesus as their Savior? That changes our whole perspective on how we see people. This way we see them from the inside out, not just from the outside in. Some of y'all may remember a song by Brandon Heath called, Lord, Give Me Your Eyes. And that's that same concept that you have. You ask God to give you his eyes for people. And I call that being soul conscious. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> now, the statement here. Chuck Kelly... <clears throat> has since commented about this statement himself, and he said his biggest concern is that Southern Baptists may no longer be harvest-minded. They're not worried about souls like we used to be in the 70s and 80s and early before that. But let me unpack this. Southern Baptists are a harvest-minded denomination living in an unseated generation. Well, being harvest-minded is a really good thing, but what does that look like? Well, being harvest-minded a lot of times is this idea. If I could just get them to church and let the preacher preach to them, they'll hear the gospel, they'll be saved. Or if I could get them to the Billy Graham Crusader, if I could get them to the RBC Center, to Greg Laurie event, if I could get them to the concert, if I could get them to Vacation Bible School, if I could get them to the revival, if I could get them to an event where the gospel's going to be shared, an invitation given, they'll hear the gospel and they'll respond to the invitation. Nothing wrong with doing that, by the way. Keep doing that. But here's the reality, and Billy Graham himself says this, only one out of four people that come to Christ do so through a preaching event, a revival-type service, an evangelistic service. Three out of four people that come to Christ do so through relationship. You've gotten to know them. They've been in your Sunday school class. They've been coming to church for several months or a year. Or they're in your neighborhood Bible study. Or you've developed a friendship with them at work or at school. And folks, look at this right here. It's a process of coming to the cross. If this is the cross, some people are ready to respond when you ask them, are you ready to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? They'll come to Christ. But more people in our culture need to be cultivated. They need to get their questions answered. They need to be under the teaching or the preaching of the gospel. And then far more people are over here. They need the seed sown. They need to know you love them. You're praying for them. You've invited them to church. You've given them a Bible. You've shared a gospel track with them or a Christian book. So whether we're sowing or cultivating or harvesting, all that's an equally important part of that process of bringing people to Christ. So much of our focus a lot of times is on just getting people saved we tend to just dismiss ourselves from personal evangelism. We leave this to the preacher, minister of education, the evangelist, the church staff person. We just leave that to them, and we just kind of back out. But the reality is God's called us all to be a part of the sowing and the cultivating and the harvest. Now, sometimes you'll share with somebody and assume come to know Christ. Back in um, the fall, I was working with Child Evangelism Fellowship one day at the, the – uh, at the state fairgrounds. It wasn't the state fair, even though they were there for that too. But we had a big event called the Children's Spectacular. And my job was to be a doorkeeper and welcome people and give them a bag that had the gospel and had free coupons for Chick-fil-A and McDonald's, that kind of thing, and, and talk with people as I had a chance. And so this guy that was working in the building at one of the restaurants, he's a 55-year-old man named Archie. He kept walking out. Every time he'd take a break, he'd walk out. Well, I had an Evangel cube, and so I said, uh, Archie, have you ever seen one of these? And I kind of clicked it a little, and I'll show you that tonight perhaps. But uh, he he looked at it and said, no, I've not seen that. So I showed it to him, shared the gospel with him. And he began to kind of open up. And he said, you know, I'm not really where I need to be spiritually. I used to go to church, but God's been dealing with me. I know I need to do something with my life. And I shared with him. I said, well, Archie, maybe you just need to surrender to the Lord. And he said, maybe so. And, you know, and then he was in and out. Well, later on, a guy that goes to our church, I go to church in Garner, uh, saw this scenario going on. His name is Mike Creech. Mike went and followed up with him. Guy prayed to receive Christ. 
And so uh, he comes and tells me, he said, now when Archie comes back out after a while, why don't you ask him what happened to him? I said, all right. So he comes back out. I said, Archie, I understand something really good happened to you today. He said, yeah. I gave my heart to the Lord, finally. And I said, well, that's great, Archie. And I prayed for him, talked to him about finding a church and that kind of thing. Sometimes that happens. That was a double-team effort. But see, God was already working in this guy's life, and he responded. But a lot of times, it's just the sowing. You never know kind of where somebody is spiritually. As you begin to talk to him, you kind of figure that out. Bill Fay has a study called Share Jesus Without Fear. In fact, Bill Fay was one of the speakers when we had the evangelism conference here. He said there might be 27 people involved in this one person coming to Christ. And it's an arbitrary number. He said, but as you engage with them, you don't know if you're number 1 or 10 or 15 or 20, or maybe you're number 27, and that person prays to receive Christ with you. But it's part of that process. Let me give you another illustration. I was coming out of a parking deck in Raleigh one time, and I saw these two girls, and they're about 19, 20 years old. They just look like they're hungover, lost their last friends, didn't get enough sleep. they just droopy, you know, slow singing, sad dancing, or the other way around. But anyway, I, all I was going to do is sow a seed. I was just going to give her a little Bible verse card, you know, and just encourage her. That's all I was going to do is sow a seed. She comes to the window, and she's got her name tag on. It's kind of wacky-jawed, and it said, Angie. I said, Angie. I said, is that short for Angela? She said, yeah, that's my real name. I said, well, that's my wife's name, Angela. I said, do you know what it means? No, what's it mean? I said, it means an angel or a messenger. Well, you'd thought I'd plugged her in an electric socket. She goes, Deidre, did you hear that? I'm an angel. I'm a messenger. She just came to life. And uh, I said, well, Angie, I said, here's your little card. It's got a, a Bible verse and a, and a prayer on it. I hope it encourages you today. When I handed that to her, that's all I really was going to do, just sow a seed. She put her hands on her hips, and she cocked her head sideways, and she said, somebody's trying to say something to me. Now, folks, when God's at work, you don't have to kick the door down. I said, well, Angie, who's trying to say something to you? And she went like that. I said, you want to talk about that? She said, yes, sir, but you probably don't have time. I said, well, ma'am, I may never see you again. Let me just back back into the booth, and I'll come back around and talk to you. She said, all right. When I walked back around, she looked at me, and she said, sir, you are the third person in 24 hours to say something to me about the Lord. Well, I heard the Twilight Zone music. Do, 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 do. Okay, God, you're up to something. She said, the first person left me this little book. It's called Our Daily Bread. It's a devotion book. And she said, the second person left me this little booklet. It says, do you know for certain that you have eternal life and you'll go to heaven when you die? That's a good question for all of us to consider. Well, I, I said, can I see that a minute? I looked on the back. Mount Vernon Baptist Church in North Raleigh was stamped on the back. Somebody left it with her. I said, well, can I share this with you? She said, oh, yes, sir, please do. Deidre, you need to hear as much as I do. Sir, she needs to hear this as much as I do, but you don't need me. You can run the cash search without me. She was very animated. It's probably a lot funnier than I'm even telling. But anyway... She came back out, and I began to go through this with her. First principle, God loves you, John three sixteen. Second principle, we're all sinners, Romans three twenty three. When I got into the third principle about Jesus being God's only payment and provision for our sin, she just started to weep. I said, are you all right? And she said, oh, i got some stuff in my life. And she told me. She was very honest. I said, well, I appreciate your honesty. And, and she said, but go on, I want to hear this. I said, well, the fourth thing is the Bible tells us in John 1, 12 that we must individually receive him. We must respond to that gift that Jesus has offered us on the cross. And John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And I shared that with her, and then I took her to the prayer, the prayer of repentance, the salvation prayer, sinner's prayer, whatever we call it. And I read that to her, and I said, Angie, is that prayer, is that what's on your heart? She said, oh, yes, sir, that's what I need to do. I said, well, are you ready to pray right now? And she said, oh, no, I can't pray right now. I've got to deal with all this stuff before I can give my life to the Lord. I said, no, Angie, you don't understand. When you surrender your life to the Lord, he takes all that. You don't have to clean up to come to him. He cleans you up. He'll do all that. But you know what? I didn't push her. I said, let me just tell you my story. I said, you're kind of like where I was. I was 13 years old, and I was about 18 inches away from heaven. She kind of looked at me, and I said, I'll explain it to you. In my head, I knew what I needed to do, but in my heart, I had not surrendered. And that's where you are. I said, um, I was, it was August of 1976. I was 13 years old, and I, I was um, getting ready to start school, but I had just come under incredible conviction that I needed to do something. I felt like an elephant was sitting on me. And my mom made an appointment with a pastor, and he went through a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws and explained to me what I had just explained, explained to you. And, and, I, and then he asked me, he said, Marty, are you ready to pray and ask Jesus into your heart? I said, yes, sir. And I said, yes, sir, to everything. You know, do you understand this? Yes, sir, yes, sir. I've been going to church. And um, so I prayed with the pastor. But then Angie, he told me something so profound, and I'm going to tell you the same thing. He said, now, Marty, I want you to go home, and in your own words, in your own prayer, you pray and ask Jesus into your heart and surrender your life to him. And see, Angie, that's what the pastor realized. I would not really surrendered. I just acknowledged what I needed to do. I would agreed with him what I needed to do, but I would not really surrendered in my heart. I said, so that night when I went home, I still felt like an elephant was sitting on me. But when I prayed that night, I sincerely prayed 
and ask him into my life, ask him to forgive me, and then I surrendered my life to him and said, take my life and, and do what you want to do with my life. And I felt like I floated off the bed. I had such a relief. I didn't float at all. I was laying flat on my back. But I had such a relief. And then I had this warm, confident feeling, which I now understand was God's Spirit coming into my life. I said, that happened 30-some years ago, and I've never gotten over it, and that's why I'm telling you about it now. And she said, thank you, sir, thank you. And she's still gently weeping. And I said, can I pray for you? Oh, yes, sir, please pray for me. So I prayed for her that God would forgive her, he'd, he'd save her, he'd cleanse her, he'd set her free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, sir, thank you. And as I was getting ready to walk away, I learned a lesson that day, too, a great teaching point. I looked at her and I said, Angie, I hope I'll see you in heaven someday. She said, you will, sir, you will. And folks, you and I, we got Angie's in our life every day. They're divine appointments. And they're people that you run into, and you don't know where they are spiritually. And maybe you're sowing, and maybe you're cultivating, or maybe you see that person pray to receive Christ right there in your presence. But whether we're sowing or cultivating or harvesting, all that's an equally important part of that process of bringing people to Christ. Amen? And, that's, and we can all be a part of that as we have that conversation. But it also raises a question today for some of you all to think about. Have you ever surrendered your heart to Jesus? Maybe you've been in church all your life, and maybe you have the head knowledge, and you can explain all that. But have you really ever surrendered? We're going to continue to talk about that as we move into the worship time. But just be thinking about that. Now, I want to show you something else, too. Look at this definition. By the way, I just was with Daryl Robinson for two days. We had him for our vocational evangelist retreat at Caraway, where I've been Thursday and Friday. Picked him up on Wednesday night. Great guy. He wrote uh, Total Church Life and People Sharing Jesus. And the man is 77 years old, and he is now traveling all over the world. Uh, he spends a month to six months at a time in Brazil. He's getting ready to go to Italy, and he's teaching and training pastors all over the world. 77 years old, he's in great health and uh, doing great. But anyway, his definition of a successful witness, any witness given of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to God, is a successful witness. Amen? See, folks, you and I, we're not really the evangelist. God is the evangelist through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're the messenger, we're the mouthpiece, we're the vessel, we're the carriers, we're the sharers of the gospel. But it's the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I, we don't save people. We lead them to Jesus, we share Jesus with them, but it's the Spirit of God that saves people. Amen? It's up to us to be obedient to share, but it's up to to God to change the heart. And we'll continue to talk about that. But keep that in mind, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about our personality. Uh, whether you're outgoing or shy, God works through all that. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to back up and tell you one more illustration. Look at this statement that says an unseated generation. Folks, we're living in an unseated generation. When most of you all were growing up, if your mom or dad didn't take you to church, your grandmother took you to church, your aunt or uncle or a neighbor or somebody took you to church. But we're living in a day and time now that when the majority of people, including senior adults, don't go to church. I've got a, a wristband on that says 5.6 million people. This is a reminder. It says 5.6 million. Pray, go, share, disciple, and plant. I want to blow your mind right now. There are 5.6 million people in North Carolina that have zero connection to a church. There are 9.9 million people. That's our population, 9.9 million. We're the 10th largest state in population. But almost 65 to 70% of our people have zero connection to any church at all. We're in an unchurched state if you begin to think of it that way. And the reality is that's hard to imagine, but uh, the majority of people do not go to church at all. Now, let me illustrate what this looks like. Um, this guy could be your next-door neighbor. I went into an Alltel store. It's now a Verizon store. And um, I was talking to this young guy. His name was Brian. He had his name on. He was reading a book. He's the only one in the store. I went to get a headset for my cell phone. I said, hey, Brian, how are you doing? Fine. I said, Brian, where are you from? Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Where would you go to school? East Carolina University. Wow, that's interesting. And uh, I said, well, Brian, let me ask something. Do you have a church background? He said, no, sir, I've never been to church. Now, this is about a 25-year-old North Carolina boy from Rocky Mountain to East Carolina, never been to church. Kind of shocked me. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, well, have you ever been to any weddings or funerals? And he looked at me and he goes, no, sir, none of my friends have uh, gotten married yet. None of my friends have died. I've never been to church. His point of church was it's funerals and weddings. But he seemed very open to talk, and so I asked him my favorite question. I said, well, Brian, I said, do you ever think about spiritual things? He just raised his eyebrows. He reaches under the counter, and he holds up the book he was reading, and the title of the book was Bible Basics for Dummies. I heard the Twilight Zone music again. <laughs> do, 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 do. Okay, God, you're up to something here. He didn't go to a Christian bookstore and get that book. He went to Barnes & Noble or Books A Million or wherever books are sold, and right beside Computer Basics for Dummies was Bible Basics for Dummies, and that's what he pulled off the shelf, and that's what he was reading when I walked in. 
So then I pulled out my, my favorite little booklet, my favorite track. By the way, I don't call them tracks. I call them Bible studies. It's amazing how far more receptive people are. If you call it a track or a pamphlet, it sounds cultic. But if you say, hey, here's a Bible study, people are more open to that. It's amazing. I've just started doing that in the last couple of years of calling things Bible studies. But anyway, I pulled out Steps to Peace with God, and I asked him, I said, Brian, I said, have you ever heard of Billy Graham? He said, oh, yes, sir, everybody in North Carolina has heard of Billy Graham. I thought to myself, au contraire, mon frere. Uh, most people under 30 have not heard of Billy Graham, but he had, and it made it easy. It doesn't really matter, but uh, this is put out by Billy Graham, so Steps to Peace with God. Long story short, I went through it with him, explained it to him, read the parts to him, showed him about the cross being the bridge, and he was very open. He listened to everything. He did not respond, but he was very open. Now, you rewind my story to when I began. Did Brian have any intention of going to church? No. Was he even thinking about church? No. Was it even on his radar? No, not at all. But was he thinking about spiritual things? Absolutely. He was not reading the Bible, but he was reading a book about the Bible. And folks, that's where our culture is. There are people everywhere just waiting for you to engage them in a spiritual conversation. Uh, Just telling them to come to church, that's not necessarily what they're looking for, and that's not necessarily going to work. I think I said this association meeting. A lot of times we do church like a man fishing in a boat in the middle of a lake without a fishing rod, yelling at the fish to jump in the boat. It's not impossible. It's just real unlikely. Amen? Fish do jump, but rarely do they jump in your boat. Now, occasionally that may happen, but that's kind of how we do church. We put a sign out and we say, y'all come, or we invite people, y'all come. Nothing wrong with that, but the reality is the Bible message isn't y'all come. The Bible message is go and tell, go and share, go and reach, go and make disciples, which we're going to see that in just a moment. So just keep that in mind that we've got to be reaching out. You can put a sign out there that says, Elvis's cousin is coming to sing. But that doesn't mean that anybody's necessarily going to come hear him because we've got to reach out to people and uh, connect with them. But they are interested in spiritual things. So just keep that in mind as we move forward. Now, we're doing all right. Um, Successful witness, you've seen that. Doug, you are my new hero, man. He's got this thing. I just touch it. It keeps on going. I think I skipped one here. Yeah, there's a, there's a verse missing. But I tell you what, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28, and uh, we'll jump into this. Matthew 28, let me set this up. I know you all know the Great Commission. I know that's the heart of this church. It's your pastor's heart to go and make disciples of all the nations. But what is the context of the Great Commission? Interestingly enough, in Matthew 28, it's Easter Sunday morning. Easter is the context of this. Now, let me set this up before we even get to verse 7. Um, it, it's, what's going on is it's Easter Sunday morning. Jesus has just been crucified. He's been uh, put in a borrowed tomb. An earthquake takes place, rolls away the stone. Angel appears to the soldiers. They fall out like dead men. And then in verse 5, the angel appears to all these ladies named Mary. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James. And the angel says to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Come and see the place where he was lying. Now, in that statement in verse 5, it says, I know you are looking for Jesus. And I want to unpack that for just a minute. They were looking for the physical body of Jesus. But you know, people all over the world and all around us are looking for Jesus. They may not say that. They may not use those words. They may not even understand it as you begin to talk to them. But everybody is looking for Jesus. Now, it says in Romans 3 that there's none righteous. There's not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. And that's quoting from Isaiah. So in our own humanity, we're not really seeking after God. But all people have a sense that there is a God and that there is something beyond them that they want to connect with at some, some point. The only way that people are going to connect with Creator God is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, they may refer to God as the great spirit in the sky or the power or the force or there's something out there, just can't explain it. But everybody has a sense that there is something that we call God. It says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the heart of every human being. So every human being has a sense of something beyond them, something that's eternal. So it is a fair statement to say that everybody's looking for Jesus. Let me give you another cultural experience, kind of like the one I shared about Brian. My wife and I like to go out to eat at least once a month. She wants a break today, other than McDonald's, amen, with five kids. And uh, there's a restaurant in Garner that we go to a lot called Chili's. And uh, we've had a lot of interesting conversations. We had a waiter one time named Elijah. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> we talked to him. But we had this waitress one time. Her name was Nikki. And Nikki was a college student, and Nikki had an attitude. You know, you can tell when somebody's just got an attitude even before they talk, they just, they got it. They're just sporting the tude. She had an attitude. And she comes up to the table, and I said, hey, Nikki, how are you? I'm fine. And I said, Nikki, I said, is that short for Nicole? Yeah. I said, do you know what Nicole means? Yeah. 
I said, yeah, it means victorious one. I know, my grandmother gave me a card. You know, just kind of had an attitude. You know, she just, everything had an attitude. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, have you seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Now, this was when the movie had just come out on DVD. And when I asked her that question, have you seen the movie? Right away, she goes, oh, I'm not religious. I don't go to church or anything. Put her hands up and backed away. I said, well, I'm religious. I said, I brush my teeth twice a day. She said, no, you're sarcastic. And I thought to myself, no, girl, you're sarcastic. I didn't say that, but I told my wife that. I said, no, she's the one that's sarcastic. I said, no, I'm not talking about being religious or going to church. I'm really talking about relationship and what Jesus said and what he did for us on the cross. And she said, she walks back up the table. She said, oh, I'm interested in that. And then she started telling me about this ongoing conversation with a guy at work about spiritual things. Now, rewind that conversation. When I mentioned something spiritual, in this case it was a Christian movie, her response was, I'm not religious, I don't go to church. And I basically said, you know, I'm not really talking about being religious, I'm talking about relationship. And she said, oh, I'm interested in that. So that's just another insight because in verse 5 it says, I know you're looking for Jesus. And that's a good example that people are really looking for Jesus. Now, pick it up in verse 7. The angel tells the ladies, and I got this on the screen. The angel tells the ladies, go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Behold, I've told you. Now that phrase, going before you, there's absolutely nothing that God has called this church to do, called your family to do, or called you as an individual to do that he has not already gone before you. Every illustration I've shared, every story I've shared, God had created that. He had already gone before me. I call it stepping into God's stuff. God's got things going on in people's lives all around you. And as you engage that conversation, you'll kind of find out where people are in that sowing and cultivating, harvesting process. But the angel told him, go to Galilee. And then in verse 8, it says, They departed from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to report this to the disciples. Verse 9, Behold, they met Jesus. They greeted him. They uh, took hold of his feet. They worshipped him. That probably happened on the road to Emmaus. Luke has a whole passage on it. And then um, in verse 10, Jesus says to him, almost the same thing the angel said, Do not be afraid, fear not. I think they must learn that in angel school on the first day. Fear not. He says, Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. There they shall see me. Now, there's something very significant about Galilee. The angel told him to tell the ladies, to tell the disciples, Go to Galilee. Now, Jesus has appeared, tells them, Go to Galilee. In a moment, we'll see what that's all about. There's a little interlude here. I call it the Jewish conspiracy. But basically what happened here is the, they told the soldiers, hey, just say you fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. We'll pay off the governor. That'll get you out of trouble. And verse 15 says, many of the Jews believe this to this day. Now, I've got a Jewish neighbor. His wife's Catholic. Both of them came to Christ in 2001. And when a person who's Jewish becomes a Christian, they don't stop being Jewish. They just become a completed Jew or fulfilled Jew. But let me teach you something really fun. And you can unpack this on your own. When somebody ever, you ever run into somebody and say, oh, I'm Jewish, you can tell them, oh, I am too, by adoption. Because when you become a Christian, you become a Jew as well. It talks about that in Romans 11, about being grafted in to the natural branch. You're the wild branch, you're the Gentile, but you're grafted in to the natural branch, which is Judaism. It's in Romans 11, so take a look at that. But that'll have, help you when you have a conversation with a Jewish person. Now, pick it back up in verse 16. Remember, the angel told him to go to Galilee. Jesus told him to go to Galilee. And then in verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to a mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Some were doubtful. Now, let's unpack that for a minute. Galilee. Where are these uh, disciples from? They're from Galilee. Where did they first meet Jesus? Galilee. Where did they see him do the miracle with the fish and the loaves? On a mountainside in Galilee. You see what's going on here? He's getting ready to give them the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. But before he sends them out, he's calling these guys back home. He's calling them back to himself. He's calling them back to where they first met him. Why? So they've got a motivation. They've got a passion. They've got an energy. They've got a memory of what God has done in their lives so that they want to tell other people. And so that's a message for us this morning. Jesus, on a daily basis, is calling you and I back to himself so that we remember what he's done and we want to tell other people about it. I pastored in the Hickory area the edge of Burke County, uh, for four years before I came to the convention. And we were getting ready to serve communion one day, and I caught on one of our deacons. His name was Dean. He was a godly guy, 38 years old. Uh, could count on him for outreach. If we ever did any kind of outreach, Dean always showed up. And we are getting ready to serve the bread. And I said, Dean, before we serve the bread, why don't you pray? He said, okay. This was his prayer. He said, Lord, thank you for saving my sorry lost soul. We love you, Jesus. Amen. That's all he said. Boy, I got a lump in my throat and tears in my eyes and... Sanctuary similar to this, it was like rainfall. It started on the left, and it just swept the whole congregation. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. And as they were passing out the bread, I was thinking to myself, what was it that touched me and everybody else? 
Well, nobody thought of Dean as sorry, and nobody thought of Dean as lost, but Dean remembered 18 years earlier when he was lost, and he thanked God for saving his sorry lost soul. And folks, if you and I are honest about that, we could say and pray the exact same thing. Amen? It's a gracious act of God that he would save us and call us to himself. So just keep that in mind. And that's what I think Jesus was doing with the disciples. He was calling them back to himself so he could send them out. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and that should be our response to him. And by the way, uh, how many of y'all have children or grandchildren? Here's a, a profound thought for you. Don't you love it when people brag on your children or your grandchildren? Especially if they're telling the truth. Amen? We know the difference, don't we? Well, think about this. When you're telling somebody about Jesus, you're bragging on the Father's Son. And literally, the act of sharing Jesus with somebody is in itself an act of worship that brings worship and honor to God. So we're worshiping God when we're telling people about Jesus. So that's something to think about. Now, this is the part you're familiar with, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The verb is make disciples. The adverbs are going, baptizing, and teaching in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it's as you go, literally... It's not just the going, it's as you go. It's not just when you go on a mission trip, it's your life. We've been called to a lifestyle. That's why I say life is a mission trip. Say that with me again. Life is a mission trip. So it's literally as you go, and then the real verb there is make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ who is reproducing fruit that remains. Now, a lot of times if we gave this definition, we'd put a period right after Jesus Christ. But the real question is, are we reproducing? Are we passing on our faith? Are we making an influence for eternity on other people? Kind of a bottom line question here is, will there be anybody in heaven because of your witness? Will there be anybody in heaven because of your influence? And that's something to think about. We don't save people, but we do influence them for the kingdom. I know people have to go to choir and that kind of thing. So, But anyway... Um, the real definition here comes from Jesus. In John 15, he says, You will know that you're my disciples if you bear much fruit. Now, look at this statement here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That word nations is people groups. In North Carolina, there's over 240 different languages spoken in the public school system. Isn't that amazing? That's hard to imagine. 240 identified different groups. And then it says baptizing them. Now, folks, when we think baptism, you got a beautiful baptistry here, we think ceremony. Invite friends, family, grandma, whosoever will may come to the baptism ceremony. But I want you to look at this passage for just a second. Um, let me go back one. It, it says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Well, you and I read that, we think ceremony. But what about a Buddhist? What about a Hindu? What about a Muslim? When they see that, they're not thinking ceremony. They're thinking, this is going to cost me something. For a Muslim, for example, if they become a Christian, and then they're baptized publicly as an outward expression of what's happened inwardly, they may be executed that same day. So they don't read this passage of Scripture and think ceremony. They're reading it and think, I'm to be public about my faith, even if it costs me something. And for a lot of people in the world, it does cost them a great... Uh, amount to be public about their faith. So don't just read this with a Western lens because the Bible wasn't written to, in English to the Western world. It's written in Greek to the whole world. So when a Buddhist or a Muslim or Hindu sees this, they realize this is calling us to be public about our faith, even if it may cost us something. Amen? Now, look at this, um, this right here, the final verse. Teaching them to observe. By the way, that's a military word. It means observe, means to guard, to keep, to protect, to obey. All that I suggested to you? No. All that I commanded you. Todd alluded to this earlier. And it says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The great commission is not the great suggestion, I think is what you said. My concern sometimes would be the great omission or the great no mission. But the reality is it's not our mission, it's God's mission. And he's invited us to be a part of it. It is a privilege to be on mission with and for God and to be able to share. And then his great promise, he promises, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I emphasize the I am because Jesus is saying, I, God in the flesh, will be with you when you do what it is that I've asked and called you to do. And so that's something to think about. Now, a couple things to wrap this up. Say this with me one more time. Life is a mission trip. Now, we want to talk about prayer's influence on evangelism. Look at this statement right here by George Barner. He says, A church that strives to evangelize its community without saturating its efforts in prayer is like a race car driver that jumps into the starting line and discovers his tank has not been filled with gas. Folks, this is how we do ministry a lot of times. We go out with our plan, with our idea, and God may or may not even be in it. We may have not really even sought his leadership, and we're just kind of doing it with our own human effort and without any real gas, which would be the Holy Spirit. Now, look at this statement here by Evelyn Christensen. This talks about the supernatural nature of prayer. 
She said, we have failed to sufficiently involve God through prayer in our soul-winning efforts in our pre-evangelism praying. We ask the omnipotent, the all-powerful God of the universe to reach down and work in people's lives before we do. And what a difference such praying makes. See, prayer supernatural. Pastor Todd and I, either one of us, we can go to the hospital and be talking to a lady who's getting ready to have surgery. We're going to miss you at church. Church is praying for you. We're encouraging her with human words. But when we stop talking to her and we start talking to God, we have now stepped out of the human and the natural and we've stepped into the supernatural. And folks, that's one of the most powerful things you can do for somebody is pray for them. And if you can pray for them in their presence, you're holding them before God. Waiters and waitresses in restaurants, uh, don't miss those opportunities. Always leave a good tip, especially if you're going to leave a track, leave a good tip. If you're not going to leave a good tip, don't tell them you're a Christian and don't leave a track because you do far more harm. Amen? And, and be nice, especially on Sundays. That's the worst time for waiters and waitresses most of the time because the church people complain the most and don't leave good tips. Let's change that, okay? Let's be the nicest people, and let's leave good tips and share the gospel with them. But if you ask a waiter or waitress, is there anything I can pray for you about? That's an incredible thing. Most of the time, they'll say, no, I'm good today. But about half the time, they'll come back and tell you something later on because they'll start thinking, yeah, my mom or my dad's going to have surgery or whatever. So keep that in mind that prayer is a powerful thing. Now, last slide here. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. Amen? It's all about Him. It's not about us. But the mission of the church, the missional things that we do is evangelism. And I put that at the head of the era. We do evangelism, worship, fellowship, ministry and missions, and discipleship. And I put administration as the shaft because the word means in order to minister, in this case the gospel, through all the things that we do. But the bow, now if I could animate this, you wouldn't see the bow. You'd just see the era. But prayer is the bow that launches it. Now, let's take prayer out of it for just a moment. And this is what we've been trying to do with the church. We've been taking that arrow in our hand, and we've been trying to shoot it, or we've been trying to throw it. And we may or may not hit our target. We may or may not be very accurate. We may or may not accomplish our mission because we can only do what we're humanly able to do. But when you put the arrow in the hands of the archer, who in this scenario is God, and we begin to pray, and he begins to pull back his bow, he's not going to miss his target. And what is his target? It is to seek and to save that which is lost. In Luke 19, he says, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's what we're going to talk about in the worship time. But let me pray for us, and we'll have about a 10-minute break, uh, maybe a little longer. So let's join our hearts in prayer. Thank you all for your attention. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the precious people that make up Adamsville Baptist Church. Thank you for Pastor Todd and, and for the staff and for all that's going on. Father, we just pray now that you would prepare our hearts to worship. Help us, Lord, to focus our heart's affection and our mind's attention on you, Lord, worshiping you for who you are and what you're going to do. Lord, I pray today that if there's anybody here who's, who's lost, who's never surrendered to Jesus, that today would be the day of surrender, the day of salvation. Father, for all of us who know you, who are Christians, I pray we'd be more concerned about uh, lost people, more concerned about people's souls. So, Father, I pray that you'll prepare us to worship you. And I pray, Father, that you'll be pleased, that Jesus will be exalted and lifted up. Father, I pray that your kingdom purpose will be accomplished in this church and in our lives. And, Father, I pray that you do something awesome and great in our midst and glorify and magnify yourself. And, Lord, I pray you'll be pleased by all that we do. We commit it to you. We thank you for Jesus, his finished work on the cross for our sake. And we pray in his powerful name, the name of Jesus, that is above all names. Amen. Amen. Thank you.